Tough family. Welcome to the community corner where we talk about various topics within the urban community. We specialize in urban public health, urban education, health education, education policy, and creative arts. I'm the executive director at the Urban Health Collaborative, and I want to personally thank you for tuning into our podcast. This podcast was produced by our very own interns and our team. If you don't know who we are, we are a public health nonprofit that focuses on building capacity and educating community members on preventable health issues and teach them ways to prevent them as well as improve their health and overall well-being. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you stay. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Community Corner podcast. For today's episode, I'm very excited to say that Dr. Alexandria Bauer and Dr. Linda Ocean are here with us today to talk about the various aspects of youth development. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. Hi, thank you for having me. So exciting to be here. Thank you for having me. To begin, could you tell us a bit about your background and experiences? Sure. So I am an assistant professor at Rutgers in the Center of Alcohol and Substance Use Studies uh, and in the Department of Applied Psychology. Um, I primarily work with uh, young adults and communities of color, um, especially around mental health and trauma and substance use disparities. I'm currently an assistant professor at Rutgers um, Graduate School of Applied and Professional Psychology. Um, So that means I'm a clinical psychologist by training. I initially got interested in mental health because I just wanted to figure out how to help teenagers specifically live their best lives. So I found my way to clinical psychology and right now what I'm uh, really interested in with my research and with my clinical work is working with adolescents who are suicidal. Um, particularly adolescents of color, and really helping them to kind of fully engage with treatment and be fully active with treatment, um, just kind of get the best that they deserve. What sparked your interest in working with young people and promoting youth development? Sure. So I am actually got really interested in youth development and young people, especially because I was really struck by a lot of the disparities we were seeing in outcomes, especially with homicide and suicide. Um, especially for young Black adults and young Black men in particular. Um, And I think that uh, impact on mental health, especially traumatic loss among families and peer networks, um, I think really kind of drove my interest in understanding the mental health impacts um, and also really trying to understand um, the nuances of kind of what changed after COVID and especially with um, different types of communities and what they would need in terms of how, how to manage their mental health just with all of the experiences that we've had in the last few years and how that adds on to what they were already experiencing. I knew that I really loved working with adolescents um, because I had been doing like camps um, growing up and that was like the group I really loved to work with and also I found as I was learning about um, clinical psychology that most mental health disorders actually start in adolescence sometimes earlier sometimes later but like adolescence is really kind of a key period and so i really wanted to focus on on that time but also like teenagers are just so much fun um they just bring me so much joy what challenges do young people commonly face in their development and how can these changes be addressed so obviously there's been a lot of turbulence over the last few years and i think even post covid there's the push to try to get back to normal and to kind of move forward. But I think just reconciling that there's been a lot of 
um, challenges for folks and how we address some of those things while we're trying to move forward, but understanding that there's going to be a little bit of a mental health impact just because of all the things that people have experienced. Another challenge I think specifically that young people experience is a lot of the stigma around discussing mental health, especially when there is trauma or substance use and how to kind of seek access to mental health care or just seek support kind of in general. And so in terms of addressing that, we did just get a, a National Institute of Health grant to develop a excuse me, mental health literacy intervention for around trauma and substance use, specifically for young Black adults. And so we're really excited to partner with our community advisory board and community members to try to get that off the ground. And we also just got a internal grant from Rutgers to develop a needs assessment, excuse me, and really to partner um, with the Urban Health Collaborative to really see, you know, what are folks on the ground really needing around the New Jersey area? And how can we best put that into practice and really getting the um, kind of input directly from communities to take action in that? Well, being an adolescent is uh, just hard in general. Like it's, it's hard for everybody. Um, and so there's, I think what's hard is kind of distinguishing what's like the normal amount of hard versus like like an abnormal amount of, of hard when things are really getting to be a struggle. But there's a lot of things that influence development and I'm kind of pragmatic when it comes to that. Like I don't like to get into too much theory or things like that, but you know, teenagers and all people are inherently social people. We need to feel like we belong. And especially for teenagers who are minoritized in some way, like they just have so many more barriers to feel like they do belong in some way. And they also, they need to feel loved. They need to have some type of family, whether that's, you know, biological or chosen that helps them to feel that they're valid. And then of course they need to have, you know, basic needs met, uh, which unfortunately a lot of teenagers actually don't have. I think that, um you know, COVID compiles like just everything that's been going on with the past couple of years, whether it's in like um, current events or pop culture, like all of that, like con like constant shifting and having like new things come out in like such big quantities in such a short period of time. It's a it's a lot to um, sort of take like take in. And I think to kind of go back to a point that you made earlier about this sort of need to like feel like everything goes back to the way it was before is like very much prevalent what are your thoughts on like adopting the perspective of sort of adapting to the changes that have been made kind of recognizing that things can't be exactly the same but that's not inherently a negative thing absolutely i think there is uh, a lot that we have started to talk about in the last few years that um, i mean we've, we've been talking about for quite some time but i think kind of came came out more into kind of the collective discussion around social determinants of health and kind of the context of where people live and work and socialize and all of those things and how that impacts development and well-being. And a lot of those things are, I mean, again, are, are persistent from before the pandemic, potentially worsened by the pandemic, but I think there's a lot of attention being paid to it now. So kind of once the genie's out of the bottle, do we do we really want it to go back to the way it was, knowing that there's problems that really have been persistent for some time that we could, again, use community-based strategies to really try to address and improve on. In your opinion, what are the most critical aspects of positive youth development? 
developing support and resources and especially places to discuss some of the things that they are experiencing in terms of stressors or, you know, navigating different coping strategies and situations. And that can be, you know, both a, a physical place if there's a again, a, a specific place or a location in the community that would be helpful, but also just having spaces with people or with kind of trusted networks of peers or, or others, where again, they're they're really focused on kind of destigmatizing some of the mental health impacts and normalizing that this is happening to a lot of people. You know, we all kind of go through it at some point and trying to really validate their experiences. So not just, again, providing the supports, but um, kind of helping them navigate some of those challenges. Yeah, I think feeling like a, a valid person, feeling like you belong and that people, you know, care about you and you don't have to kind of perform or, you know, do anything to feel um, loved or worthy. Right, of course. To continue, how does the current societal landscape impact the development and well-being of today's youth? Yeah, well, I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit already in terms of the stressors that everyone has experienced and you know the expectation that we go back to normal i also think there's just so much you know kind of politically and socially that's happening right now that being a, a young adult is i think challenging in and of itself just because you're you know launching into independence gaining you know career skills things like that and then on top of that if there's discrimination that folks are facing the certain kind of challenges in employment and inflation and all of that I think that, you know, again, there's a lot of stressors that are impacting people regardless of, of where they are. I think that's obviously, you know, worse in some places across the country, but, you know, when we talk about communities that not necessarily location-based or geographic region, that can really impact a lot of folks regardless of where they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're in unprecedented times right now. Like it was unprecedented like before COVID and now it's just like out of control. So, you know, we, like even as a researcher, we still don't really know to full extent, like what is the influence of like social media on mental health? Like we have some ideas, but we don't know, you know, kids are so much more connected now. And also there's like so much more inequality. And we also have so much technology and we're so much more able to do things right now. So yeah, it's really hard to know what, uh, what kind of influences positive development right now. We're still figuring it out. But I will say that um, I feel like teenagers are, for the most part, super resilient and they adapt so well to the environment. And then, like, you know, when things go wrong, they can really go wrong. Um, and so that's, that's why I like to do the work that I do. On the same note or on a similar note, um, how do you see this societal landscape changing in the future? Um, I think there's a lot more openness about mental health and uh, especially with social media, there's so much more access to information, which I think in some ways is great. And again, can get a lot of information to a lot of people in terms of education about what symptoms to look out for, how to navigate challenges, how to kind of net or excuse me, self-monitor, you know, when, um, when you might be going through something and might need more support. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of potential for misinformation or inaccurate information. So I think just kind of making sure to you know, get information from folks that are uh, reliable and, and really have kind of your best interest in mind. I think that people are getting more and more connected and able to find that validity that we were talking about before in more places because they can find it online right so if you even if you can't find it in your like you know 
um, community, you can you can find it online. So that's really great. And that also means that they're more open to having negative experiences, right? So it's like really easy to come across like gun violence on social media or, uh, you know, hearing about horrible things that are happening all over the world. And so I think as we get connected, it, there's really great parts of it and there's also like really uh, difficult parts of it. But I think that it's really interesting to see how teenagers are kind of shifting and developing. I love working with teenagers because I'm like, whenever I work with them, I'm like, the kids are all right. Like, we're going to be fine. They're just like so wonderful, really on top of things, so aware of things that I was not aware of. And yet I think that does have an impact on mental health because like, of course, you're going to be more anxious and more depressed. So it's it's a, it's a mixed bag, but I think I have a lot of uh, hope that teenagers are going to be resilient and we'll, we'll figure it out together. What role do schools and educational institutions play in nurturing the potential of young minds? And has anything been done in an attempt to change the way schools impact youth development? My interest was really around young adults because I was really interested in trying to get to populations that I felt like had less access to mental health care and mental health supports just in general. Uh, and that was kind of my assumption because I'm realizing that I there's not as many school-based programs maybe as we would hope, especially for schools in, in low resource areas. And so I think it's really important to understand, you know, you kind of just kind of take landscape of what are, what schools, you know, capacities are for promoting mental health, how we can, you know, kind of leverage what they're already doing, kind of build on lessons learned from other schools, but really trying to understand that we need uh, kind of all hands on deck in promoting youth development, especially navigating mental health challenges. Yeah, so that's that's a huge area of research, which isn't necessarily like my expertise. And I mean, you could imagine like, you know, uh, kids spend more time at school than they spend anywhere else. And that's not to say that families don't have like a huge impact on kids, they do. And, you know, school is where you get to kind of um, figure out who you are separate from your family and you get to have other people influencing you. And so schools do have a really big impact on youth development, on mental health. There's a lot of research that shows that school-based mental health services are really, really effective, especially for youth of color and, you know, screening kids for emerging issues and making sure that they're getting treated in ways that are accessible. And so I think schools, for the most part, they understand their role and yet they're so strapped for time and for resources that, you know, though, like I've, I've worked with schools and they've said like, we totally see the need for this, but like we, especially after COVID are just like, functioning on the bare minimum. So yeah, I have like, you know, the most respect for teachers and for school officials. And I think that they want to do everything they possibly can for kids, but they just don't have the resources. So there's a lot that we can do in schools, but just need more resources. How would you say parents could um, play an active role in supporting the development of young people? I think just like you said, being able to provide that support by checking in, really just providing space and time to discuss mental health and, you know, what they might be going through or experiencing. Uh, I think also just modeling that you're open to discussing kind of emotions and some of the you know, challenges around navigating, you know, adult, young adult development, as well as being open about your experiences. Um, some of the folks that I've talked to as part of my research have really been, you know, I think 
felt supported by family and by friends. And then others have really felt like if I'm going to express this or I'm going to talk about this, you know, my dad would tell me to man up. My mom would tell me to, you know, just keep going because I've been through worse and you have it easy. And I think a lot of those, those types of responses are again, invalidating and kind of deepen some of that stigma where if we, you know, again, lead into being willing to talk about it, being open to talking about it, even if you don't know exactly what to say, just kind of normalizing that we all go through this. You know, making sure that they are talking to their, their teens and really trying to listen to them and the things that they need. I think obviously parents, I'm a parent myself, like we're very invested in our kids um, and want them to have the best life possible. And yet it's easy to forget that like they're their own people and they're going to have their own journeys. And so I think that it's really important that kids have, you know, people who can listen to them and try to shepherd them along their own you know, journey and make sure that they have the resources that they need. So I think parents can be incredible advocates and it's often quite demeaning to have to abdicate for your kid, especially when it comes to like, you know, institutions and schools or things like that. And I think the one thing I would say to like parents and caregivers and, and mentors is, is that if you aren't going to advocate for this kid who you know so well, then nobody else will. And a lot of times the system is kind of set to like, uh, kind of push back because it's inconvenient or they don't have the resources to do the things that you're asking for and it's still your role to advocate for that kid. Um, so do it as much as you can. Are there any misconceptions about youth development that you'd like to address? There's so many. <laughs> um, I think, what are some of my pet peeves? I think this idea that like social media is just like inherently bad that's one that is irritating because I've worked with so many youth who have found their community on social media. They've found that place to feel like loved and belong or they've learned about themselves. And so I think that social media can be a double-edged sword as can most things. So I think we just need to be careful and thoughtful about how we use it. I think another one is that people will just kind of be like, oh, you know, teenagers are dramatic. They're, it's just a hard time. And so we're just gonna kind of get through this phase. And yet I can't tell you how many kids I've worked with where like, it, it's not a phase. It's, they're having a really hard time and they needed somebody to kind of jump in earlier. And so, you know, the earlier that we can intervene when somebody's having a hard time, especially if there's a mental health issue, the better. So it's always better just to, just to check. And I think another one is that teenagers are like, you know, cold and tough to work with and, you know, angry, but I feel like most teenagers are really funny and silly and fun. Um, they just need to make sure that they're feeling hurt and everybody wants to feel that way. Um, so yeah, I love teenagers are the best. One thing I think is the idea that in order to do something or in order to you know, promote youth development, that it has to be some kind of big groundbreaking intervention. Um, and I think sometimes what's needed can be really small, whether that's help with employment or a place to go for, you know, recreation and to kind of socialize, you know, lots of things I think can promote you know, youth development and wellness without being, you know, expensive or big or, you know, really kind of nationally based, things like that. They can be local, community based, and sometimes smaller than you think. I think also just the idea that, again, talking about it 
you know, sometimes it feels like if we bring it up, if we talk about things that we've gone through that are tough or, or traumatic, that that's going to make it worse. That's going to be re-traumatizing. And oftentimes it's the opposite. So when we talk about it, when we are able to process it and know that the, the memory in and of itself is not you know, to be feared that it can't hurt us, that oftentimes we are able to move forward and, and again, feel that support from people in our community. In terms of like fostering a more supportive and inclusive like environment, what do you think society could do? Um, I think, you know, we need to support our caregivers as much as possible. You know, like I find that, like, you know, like you were saying that we often, we need to support our, our youth. Um, and I find that a lot of people who struggle to support the youth are doing so because they have other things that they need to do with their time. They're stressed because they need to make money or they're trying to figure out where to live or, you know, they have too many demands on their time, on their resources. And so that makes it really hard to be like a loving, supportive parent. Like parenting is the hardest thing that you can do. And, you know, it's the same for teachers. Like teachers are extremely stressed out. They have way too much on their plate. And so they just need they need as much support as we can give them and as much kindness as we can give them. I think it's really easy. Like, I remember as I was starting to come up in psychology, I was like, why are we always ragging on moms? Like in all of our theories, it's always like, well, you know, moms and attachment or, you know, things like that. Um, but it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to be a mom. It's hard to be a teacher. And I know that all these people care desperately for their kids. They want to do the best for their kids. They just need a little bit more support. Absolutely. I think there's uh, a lot of room for teachers, uh, mentors, people in the community, um, you know, organizational leaders, things like that, to be people who can check in and provide support, even if not, you know, referrals and things like that. And I think recognizing is part of that, recognizing different identities and communities that folks might belong to and how that really kind of impacts how they interact with and kind of move through the world. Because I think just because, you know, I didn't experience it or this didn't, you know, personally happen to me doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a, uh, a big deal for folks. And so trying to really kind of foster that sense of inclusivity and cultural humility really in, in communities. So being willing to listen to, you know, the, how the, what the youth are saying in terms of what they are experiencing now, even if that's different than you know it might have been in, for previous generations, and trying to kind of again be youth centered in like what what do they want to see happen, um, and kind of letting them have an active role in in their communities. Lastly, how can listeners get involved in promoting youth development within their communities? Well, one thing I think is is a really important thing is creating opportunities for pro-social activities. So having youth kind of be able to get involved in, in their communities and schools, within their families, taking on responsibilities and, and having kind of an active role, but also having, again, kind of the involvement, but also recognition. So, you know, really building in kind of confidence building, self-efficacy building, making sure that they feel kind of a sense of accomplishment rather than, you know, being burdened by doing some of these things. And I think one way to do that also is to kind of get them involved in planning. So if there's, you know, ways that schools or communities would like for youth to get involved, you know, have a conversation about what they are interested in and what would be helpful. And again, be youth centered in kind of amplifying their voices and interests uh, and really addressing their needs specifically. I think getting involved as much as they can with, you know, any programs, volunteering, there's always people who need 
mentors, volunteers, things like that. And, you know, if there are youth in your life who you feel like, you know, just need a little help, a little support, then, you know, try to be that person for them as, as much as you can, because, you know, sometimes like, you know, a parent, they, they have to handle so many other things and they could just use, you know, somebody to come alongside and be a part of that support system. But I think also, uh, you know, trying to support policies and laws that would provide the support that these caregivers need. And trying to think about, you know, there's a lot of stigma about mental health issues. So people don't want to talk about these things. And I think the more that people are open about their own experiences and encouraging people who are having those experiences to be open and seek help, I think that can really do uh, a lot. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Ocean, Dr. Bauer. It was fascinating to learn more about youth development. And before we go, we want to open the floor for any closing remarks or anyone you'd like to give a shout out to. Definitely. I'm really excited to partner with the community uh, that, you know, again, our community partners, um, the Earth Urban Health Collaborative in particular in this needs assessment and developing the intervention. There's also quite a bit of work that we're doing around cultural humility for providers just to really make sure that, again, once folks are seeking mental health care, when it's helpful, that there's going to be providers who are you know, able to receive them in a identity affirming way. And so there's, I think, a lot of collaborators for myself and others who are doing a lot of this work. And so I'm really excited to kind of see what, what gets off the ground in the next few years. I think I'm just, I'm really thankful to be here. And I want to give a shout out to my lab, uh, the Context and Identity and Treatment of Youth Lab at Rutgers, um, City Lab for short. And yeah. Before we go, is there anything that we did not mention today that you think listeners would find helpful? It can be related to your work or anything in general. Just I think being able to recognize that the things that we go through in you know adolescence, early adulthood, definitely can continue to can be impactful. And so again, a lot of my work has been with young adults, but you know, even the things that we go through as as youth and again as emerging adults can impact us you know, really across the, the entirety of our lives. And so it's never too late to talk about mental health, to kind of talk about, you know, your own wellness and development. We're, you know, always just kind of a work in progress, learning coping strategies, coping with things as they come up. And so this is, again, not just for youth. I think it's really important to have these conversations regardless of who you are. Thank you for tuning into the Community Corner podcast. We hope you enjoyed our story and we can't wait to share it with you next time. And that's the wrap.